This hour of boat talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. You are listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and on the World Wide Web at WERU.org. Listener-supported and volunteer-powered grassroots community radio. It's just about 30 seconds after 10 o'clock in the morning. Time for Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Giffy Full. Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, 10 o'clock, second Tuesday of the month. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval, and uh, that would be you, too. We'll give you the number right now for starters if you'd like to write it down. It's a good number to call, uh, to write down. It's a hard one to remember. 1-866-625-9378 is the call-in number for... All sorts of questions and comments. We have a, a variety of things to talk about today. And uh, we're here joined with, I'm Alan Sprague, joined with uh, Giffy Fall today. Welcome back, Giffy. Thank you. We're glad to have you here. I think we'll uh, jump right into um, one topic that's going to be uh, probably an increasing importance in, in the years to come, and that is uh, energy production here on the coast of Maine. You probably realize that there is a, a project already in the up and going over in Vinyl Haven, they have three turbines. I'm not sure if they're producing power yet, but they're they're up. And uh, there's a very interesting article in Fisherman's Voice. If you pick up that newspaper, it's a free magazine all along the coast of Maine. Fisherman's Voice. There's a, a front page article by Lori Schreiber on uh, offshore wind energy. There's a, a project that's going to be starting in de- December where they're going to be planting. Um, I believe it's five. Uh, uh, wind turbines in about 200 feet of water, and they're going to be running those for three years just to, to, to work the kinks out, take it out for a, a shakedown cruise, as it were, and uh, we'll be more reporting on that. But we're going to be talking with uh, a fellow named John Fernald in a little bit, Furland, who, uh, about tidal power. Tidal power is an interesting show that uh, both Giffy and I think is uh, underrated so far, Not, no pun intended. Um, so we'll, we're doing that, but first, uh, a little bit of bad news. There is another fisherman lost. Um, I don't know him personally, a fisherman named um, Chris Hopkins out of Bass Harbor. Uh, was fishing with some friends on a, on a fish boat off of Nova Scotia. Said he was going to go down to the head, and they never saw him again. They don't know exactly what happened to him. The best they can figure is that he uh, went to make a cell phone call uh, on the bow first, and... Uh, either slipped or somehow fell overboard. There was no sound, no sight, and anything. Well, they just realized after about half an hour that he'd never showed up again out of the head that he wasn't there. He was just lost. And it's uh, It was only four or six feet of seas. Not, not really uh, that scary, but you never know. You always have to be very careful when you're offshore. And uh, so it's too bad. Our, our condolences go out to the, to the Hopkins family. So, Giffy, um, 
You were saying earlier that uh, title power is one of your favorite subjects, too. Have you... Uh, well, absolutely, because there's there's several places on Maine where it would be a, an, an a ideal. Uh, they have very strong tidal flow, and it's other than a yeah, 20, 25 minutes at slack water, uh, it's steady flow, and uh, you can... You can use that flow either way, and I, I just think it's been very, very much overlooked. It's uh, there's several advantages in, in it, and it uh, never has to wait for the wind to blow. Uh, nobody, generally speaking, would ever see it, and uh, it certainly uh, would. I would classify it as green energy. Uh, it's no question that windmills have been around for hundreds of years and they they do a good job, but I don't think particularly in Maine they're uh, attractive on the coast. I, I was down in Stonington yesterday and I just happened to, to see, I believe it's three on Vinyl Haven. Mm -hmm. And... Boy, they should sure stood out. I don't know if they're <laughs> operating yet, and I'm sure there'll be an advantage. But in Vinyl Haven, they they have a place there in the, up in the pool. It's a very large pool there, where and and there's a very narrow entrance into it up in Golden Cove, and to me that would be a, a absolutely ideal place to put. Uh, a couple of turbine generators on the bottom, and the only thing you see out of them is perhaps a cable coming ashore right, someplace. Right. And uh, I think it's something really needs to be delved into. And one of my favorites, of course, is even, and they're starting to work on it, and I think very late, but it's the Gulf Stream. It's just the flow there is tremendous. It uh, flows in one direction with no slack period 365 days a year 24 hours a day and it it flows but eh, two and a half to three knots mm -hmm. and there's just all kinds of ways to put generators or turbine tidal turbines to work in that and i mean it's a big area you could put dozens of them there and again it could be done in such a way you'd hardly ever see them. No, it would not and, be it. And Maine here has, you know, many places. It's up here to to, to, to Millbridge and Hancock. Um, there's places down in Georgetown, uh, down the Georgetown Island, and even near where I live in Blue Hill, the, the salt pond, the water roars in and out of there. Oh, all sure day does. long, and every time I drive over it, I wonder to myself, how much horsepower per day goes through there? Oh, horsepower. Boy. Yeah. And uh, I have, I, I, Free. I'm not smart enough to really calculate it, but it's, it's, it's. Well, we're going to be talking with a, with a fellow in a little bit who probably is uh, smart enough to be able to calculate that. But we have a phone call already, so let's go to that one. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Yes, this is uh, Captain Yo in Tremont. Oh, hello, Yo. Technically speaking, 
I believe that uh, tidal power or even wind power is an incredible latent bonanza of energy for us. However, I, I've had a question for years about the application of this technology. There, I live here on Mount Desert Island, and there are a number of half-tide pools where the water flows in and out, and it's observable that the pools have a significantly different marine ecosystem than the, the bays and the seas because they don't get as much water, they get more sunshine, that kind of thing. And it's apparent to me that a single turbine, say, near the bar off Bass Harbor Head, would probably generate a fair amount of energy. But it's pretty clear to me, too, that as you increase the number of turbines, you're going to be restricting flow. And in an example such as the Gulf Stream, for example, where the Gulf Stream controls the weather in the northern Atlantic hemisphere, particularly in Europe, I can see how putting a bunch of devices that would restrict the flow of the Gulf Stream could have some pretty dire environmental consequences. And I'm just wondering how much the environmental effects of these green devices has been examined. Well, you could you could you could also say that about uh, if you wanted to carry it to extremes, uh, you know, what effect do these wind turbines have on well, the weather? I think weather? it's already been shown that in areas where there are large wind farms, that local uh, air movement patterns have been disrupted. Yes. Well, all these things require uh, investigation. Um, the only problem is. You can spend 20 years studying and invest, investigating these different sources and never get anything done. Uh, I think it's, uh, my feeling is it's best to be developed by private enterprise. Um, another thing about... Uh, Wind, the wind generators, I don't think it would matter so much here on the coast, but in Germany, you know, the, these big wind turbines have uh, affected, uh, I don't know if it's breeding or milk cows or what, but they've had problems with it, and now they find they have to restrict a, uh, a certain amount of acreage and keep the animals well separated. Hmm from these wind farm areas. Kind of interesting. It's a you know, very detailed situation, no question about it. Yo, I'm going I'm to give you a website to check out, or anybody who is listening who check this out too. Um, when you're thinking of underwater turbines, they're not, um, not propeller types like the, the wind turbines you see above ground. The uh, underwater turbines at this website, which is OceanRenewableEnergy.com. That's all one word, OceanRenewableEnergy.com. You take a look at the, the uh, turbine, I guess you'd call it, uh, that they have there. It's more like, um, remember the old real lawnmowers, the real type lawnmowers that had sort of a, a horizontal cage that rolls around? It looks like one of those. It's not, it's not um, propeller type. And I think that the, uh, the amount of restriction that those... Um, those real-type generators that they use for tidal power would be minimal. 
Yeah, I, I have no knowledge at all about it, but it certainly requires study. Yeah. But to begin with, you need to try it yeah. and see what you can produce from it. Yeah. So and, then, and then deal with the problems. Hang on in there. You know, we are going to be exploring this further, so maybe you'll have some answers question, questions answered here in just a little bit. But it's a good thought, nevertheless. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate that, and we do have another phone call. So thank you, Yo. Go to the next caller. Good morning, and welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Tim O in Brooklyn. Hi, Tim. Yeah, um, good morning. I, I, uh, I kind of agree with Giffy on this, that... I mean, we, we're faced with some real problems that we have to deal with, and we can't, like if you're reaching for a bucket of water, you can't worry about whether it's a little dirty or something if you're trying to put out a fire. Right. We, uh, for people who are interested in, in wind power, an excellent website is uh, the Danish Wind Power Manufacturers Association. They've been doing this for years. They picked it up. We started it under Jimmy Carter, and then under Ronald Reagan, they completely shut it off, and the Danish picked it up. And from them, it's gone to the Germans and the Spanish, and they're they're really doing it big. We have to come up with energy somewhere. Uh, and that's one point about the effects of a lot of wind energy. It may actually be exactly the effect we want, because by by capturing so much heat energy from the sun and not reflecting it back, which is what the carbon's doing, we're getting more energy into our, our atmospheric system than it had. So even though locally the effects, just like global warming, will, will vary you know, near a wind farm, we want to remove energy, it would seem, from this system. And one way we may do it is with wind. I'm not sure. I'm not a physicist, but... That seems possible, and the, the the tidal thing has a lot of potential too. It, it's more sensitive, I think, because if you shut off where nutrients and organisms have been flushing back and forth for you know thousands of years, and we suddenly you know we've seen the same thing with dams and with salmon, so we have to be careful. But we have with global warming, we're looking at possibly the whole survival of of human life and maybe even, you know, cellular life. We, we, may, we may have screwed, we've set the planet rolling and it's so big and it's so rolling and it's picking up speed and we have to do something. So, but that's my two cents. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, in the uh, Fisherman's Voice article by Laurie Schreiber, this, this month's Fisherman's Voice it does talk about the uh, the Europeans being way ahead of uh, of America in making wind power, and I believe it says in there that it's ten percent of their power is already being produced by offshore wind power. So the, the Europeans are definitely ahead of us in another area, which I uh, I just can't understand at all. I hear all this talk about uh, m making cars produce so many miles per gallon and trying to up that. In, in in Europe, you can go over there anywhere and rent or buy a car that's fuel efficient that gives 60 miles a gallon. I own one that gives 50. Hmm. 50 miles a gallon. I've had it for 25 years. Still giving 50 miles a gallon. Boy, you're and ahead of the curve. Why can't we, if we can import all these cars from 
Japan or Korea or anywhere else. Why can't we import these fuel-efficient cars from Europe if you want to go that way? So there's all kinds of opportunities to cut down on the use of fuel. And as far as diesel cars polluting, that's not necessarily true anymore. My old car certainly does, I'll admit to that. But the new cars, they're using you know, turbochargers and aftercoolers and and the emission standards for those cars are much, much higher plus, or much lower, I should say. And then then the other thing is that uh, people don't understand that most of the diesel fuel that's sold today is low-sulfur diesel fuel. They don't sell the high-sulfur diesel fuel much anymore, Mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. Well, we do have our uh, our tidal power expert on the line, so let's uh, let's join him right now. This is hope he doesn't get his feet wet. <laughs> <laughs> John Furland, welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, Alan, good morning. How are you? I'm very good, and you're here speaking with Giffy Full too. And we've already had some callers talking about um, tidal power before we even contacted you on the phone. One concern is seems to be is people worried about. Um, uh, effects to marine life. Uh, they're thinking that the restrictions that the turbines will have will uh, affect the, the movement of, of animals. I, I, if I may jump in, I, I don't see that that's that big a problem. What I envision is individual smaller units that just simply set on bottom in, in areas that are reasonably restricted, that have a good flow, but there's still, you're only going to, still only going to use a small part of that right. energy. There's lots of room there's around There's going to be plenty of room for flow of all nutrients and fish and things. All right. Well, so, that's, not a bad, that's not a bad view, uh, Giffy. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, it's uh, an important issue to talk about. Uh, the way we look at it is, uh, uh, we feel our our, our uh, technology uh, will uh, be essentially benign in, in the marine environment, uh, but uh, we will be under, we will be uh, initiating a variety of environmental testing and monitoring protocols uh, to ensure uh, that we uh, that we aren't having a negative impact on uh, marine life, and that we're able to document. Um, what is happening in terms of the potential interaction between marine life uh, and the turbines. But, you know, up in the Eastport area, um, the water is very deep, uh, the channel is wide, um, and uh, when you have uh, a device or a number of devices uh, in that channel, uh, it actually uh, is small relative to the size uh, of the environment. But these are things that we will show over time and I, I think uh, a lot of those concerns will go away uh, once we've shown how these work. Very good. Have you made any kind of a minimal study or uh, of selected areas that are uh, ideal for this type of energy on the coast of Maine? Well, we have, we have uh, two sites on the permit uh, up in Eastport. Um, one in Western Passage, which is on the east side of... Eastport uh, on the Canadian border, uh, and then the other is in Kotzuk Bay, which is on the west side of, of Eastport. Uh, we have uh, uh, hours of underwater video based on uh, our prototype test that occurred over a 12-month period, uh, 07 
um, into 08. Um, and uh, we also did a number of visual observations in terms of, uh, you know, mammals and, and seabirds. Uh, we're going to be doing some more testing in the water uh, in a few weeks, uh, and uh, we'll be engaging in similar um, uh, environmental monitoring, uh, and, uh, and in some cases in a more sophisticated way. Yeah, you have other opportunities, it seems to me, up there, too, in, in uh, Cobb's Cook Bay. Yeah, it's... Well, we're taking them, you know, uh, we're taking them one step at a time. It takes a lot of effort to uh, have these projects proceed and become real. Uh, we also have uh, a couple of permitted sites up in Alaska, one in Cook Inlet uh, off Anchorage and another in the Tanana River, uh, which is near the village of Manana, just south of Fairbanks. Um, so, uh, you know, we do hope to uh, be doing other projects uh, in Maine as well as elsewhere. But, uh, but there's a lot of effort that goes into identifying those sites specifically. Well, for for instance, uh, in, in the Canadian uh, coast and the, the West Coast, you have places like Seymour Narrows. Where, where, you know, ships go up through there, but even the passenger ships, sizable ships that go up through there, they have to wait for slack water to get up through there. And um, so there's just all kinds of opportunities to... Well, I think you're right, you're right, Giffy, and, and uh, once our, uh, our work is uh, seen, you know, is, is, is real in, in eSport, once we have the devices in the water... Um, and uh, the market understands how this power is generated from the sea, and uh, we'll have the opportunity to improve the engineering design um, uh, of the units. And, and uh, after a while, it'll, this, this project development side of things will uh, become uh, much more uh, common than, than um, where it is at now, which is a very early stage. So yeah, we, right. we, antici- we anticipate... Uh, the industry growing um, in a in a in a, uh, a methodical fashion and in an increased uh, use uh, opportunity um, as the years unfold here over the next several years. I think that's very good. But are other entrepreneurs going to have an opportunity to do similar projects? Well, uh, I, I think I think there will be there will be other companies uh, who will get involved. Uh, there's a um, you know one of, one of the barriers to entry uh, really is the uh, time and cost that it takes to to go through the regulatory process, particularly on the federal regulatory side. And uh, we're an early entrant uh, in that process, so uh, we're seeing firsthand um, uh, what the challenges are. And there's there's actually some good examples of regulatory innovation that are occurring uh, both at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission level um, and here in Maine, um, at the state of Maine through the Maine DEP uh, and the work of the Governor's Ocean Energy Task Force um, that has uh, uh, helped uh, bring some predictability to the permitting process here in Maine. We still have a lot of work to do on, on the federal side, and um, uh, but once, once those improvements are made, it will provide... Uh, increased opportunities, not just for our company, but for others as well. Well, I hope that'll be the case. So, John, um, looking at your website, I see that the uh, 
or at least the drawings of the project that you're going to be doing in, in Eastport or um, turbines are actually suspended from what looks like a kind of like a, f- a floating garage. Is that the way it's going to be for those? No, no, no. What, what you're seeing there is our uh, uh, research and development and, uh, and demonstration testing. Uh, when, when, uh, when we move to the marketplace, uh, our turbines will be in the water column and, and uh, well below the surface. Uh, uh, of the water itself. Uh, in fact, in Western Passage, will be at least 65 feet below the surface to accommodate the shipping channel there. Uh, and, uh, and in the deeper water, we'll, um, uh, this, this uh, turbine will be held in the water column by uh, mooring lines and flotation that's built into the framing. And in shallow areas, uh, it, it will reside on a, uh, on a platform but still be underwater. What you're seeing um, is a uh, testing barge uh, where we're able to uh, continue development of our product and engage some initial environmental testing and monitoring uh, by putting a prototype in the water. And and we do that in a mobile fashion by uh, dropping it uh, with outrigger arms from a barge. Mm -hmm. That is the uh, testing we did in 0708 up in East Port that proved the technical viability of the technology, and then later this year we'll be in the water again uh, with a, with our commercial design uh, again uh, being uh, deployed uh, from a test barge, which essentially is you know is our research and development vessel. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, one other question, though, is um, back to the uh, marine life concerns and all that sort of stuff. It's what I call the blender effect of the. Uh, propeller type generators versus um, your your turbines are helical um, I, you were talking earlier about what the variation of the Darius helical thing uh, they turn relatively slowly compared to uh, the tip speed of a propeller type turbine well, uh, yes they do well, we refer to uh, our, uh, our technology as an advanced cross flow uh, design uh, turbine and uh, it, it, it moves at a, uh, at a slower uh, RPM than uh, other devices that you think of in, in the marine environment. So, uh, you know, uh, at, a, um, at, a, at a six-knot uh, current level, um, we're, we're roughly uh, 40 RPM, uh, which is, you know, it's about the same, that's about the same as a marathon runner uh, running. Uh, and uh, you know the uh, you know feet per second is uh, you know up to about 14 uh, feet per second uh, at that speed. Uh, just to put that in perspective, um, you know a paddleboat a paddleboat wheel is about 94. Uh, a ship pr- propeller is 104. Hmm. Um, you know a, 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 an outboard motor is 152. Yeah. In um, a wind turbine. Uh, is around 200. So, um, you know, it, uh, that, that's part of the environmental feature of, of the product is, is it's uh, relatively uh, modest RPM uh, as well as the uh, spacing uh, between the foils um, amongst themselves as well as uh, the spacing uh, between the foils and the frame uh, of the turbine. Of the, uh, of the turbine. Mm-hmm. Can, can I ask uh, uh, another point? Um, as it relates to wind turbines, 
I've never been near one, really, to um, see its operation, but I understand that there's a substantial noise factor with these big wind tur turbines. Well, n noise is another environmental issue that uh, that needs to be addressed, and, and uh, we've done some uh, initial noise uh, testing uh, with our prototype, and, and what we found is that we're well within uh, ambient uh, noise levels, and this will continue to be monitored uh, throughout our uh, uh, product development process, as well as when it's in the water, uh, for real. In in the uh, in a in a uh, tidal environment where, um, you know, uh, the depths can be you know 150 to 400 feet, which is the case of Western Passage. Uh, you can imagine the amount of water that moves in and out of there on a daily basis, and, and the sound that creates in and of itself. Uh, so uh, we think we're going to be continue to be well within the ambient levels uh, of noise. Huh. Very interesting. One of the things that is exciting about what we're doing, I think, is um, the economic impact that we're having uh, on the state of Maine, uh, particularly in the Eastport area and, and Washington County. Uh, but uh, you know, over the last two years, um, just in the product development mode uh, that we're in, uh, we've spent approximately $3 million and have created or retained jobs in seven main counties. Um, and that's very important to note. Uh, obviously, this is a, uh, a very positive development for, for Down East. Uh, but in fact, the nature of this work and what it takes to uh, put uh, or initiate a new industry, you know, ocean energy, uh, and initiate it with, with a tidal energy project specifically, has statewide implications, uh, and we uh, are using as much uh, native talent uh, as we possibly can, um, and it's it's starting to pay off. It's showing what's truly possible um, with new industry development on the coast of Maine, you know, from a working waterfront perspective. Hmm. One other question I have uh, is always sort of, uh, well, I don't say concern, but I wonder how when you have your power, I assume that the generator is in the water too, on these turbines. Yes. Um, the power line that comes up from the generator and comes on shore must have a little bit of a, um, a vulnerability zone, I'll call it, where it actually goes through the tidal, the uh, between low water and high water, especially during storms or ice seasons like that. Is the uh, is there a what do you do about the, the wear and tear that happens in that area on the on the wire? Uh, well, uh, the um, the cable the cable system that will be coming from the turbine to shore will be uh, uh, you know very heavy duty cable. I mean, there's a marine grade uh, cable uh, uh, with protective sheathing, and you know the, the storms and, and the icing uh, that that could occur even in shallow waters uh, isn't going to have an impact on this cabling because it's going to be well below the surface. I mean, one, one of the one of the characteristics of being well below the surface of the water is is you don't have the same storm impact as you do uh, up on the surface. Right. And that, that's why uh, you know the, the nation's submarine corps, when they get caught in a storm, they just go underwater and, and continue to go about their business. Well, um, there's, a, there's another factor, too, as far as cables go. In, in, in time, as things develop, those cables can be buried. 
I mean, that's very, right. that's right. Very. And one uh, thing, and one thing that we're going to be doing here is uh, we're going to we're going to be uh, showing how this cabling occurs. You know, uh, Alan, when 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 we spoke uh, prior to the show, and, and you had mentioned uh, all of the uh, discussion about offshore wind energy in Maine. Um, you know, there there eventually will be a strong ocean energy industry uh, in Maine. Uh, but it's going to occur sequentially, and and what is currently happening in tidal is going to blaze the trail for other ocean energy developments to follow. Whether it's more tidal uh, or the initiation of offshore wind, uh, we're going to be going through the regulatory system for the first time, and and hopefully maturing that system. Uh, we're going to be uh, uh, doing the initial environmental testing and monitoring protocols. Uh, we're going to be training a workforce, but the other thing we're going to be doing is we're going to we're going to be showing uh, 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 how this cabling from the marine environment uh, comes back to the shore and connects to the grid. And these are all things that uh, other ocean energy developments, as they occur in the coming years, will learn from. Very good. Yeah. Um, and one one other thing I think I can see here too is that you need to or somebody needs to have a program that educates the public to the advantages of this. They need to know more about it and um, have a better understanding of what it can do. Um, well, that's a good that's a good point, Giffy. There's, uh, there's, there's sort of multiple uh, topic areas related to renewable energy development in Maine and uh, how how Maine citizens can benefit from this. And, and so... Uh, we're, uh, the work that ORPC is doing we're at a level where we're uh, talking about job creation, new skill development, uh, kind of the uh, 21st century version uh, of a working waterfront opportunity, uh, so to speak. Uh, using our Eastport project as an example, uh, we're showing how uh, the types of jobs and skills that have been around waterfronts, uh, you know, for, for centuries uh, can be applied to this to this type of industry. Uh, our on-water services provider in Eastport is the Eastport Port Authority, and, and, and there's an example of an innovative use of a port infrastructure. Uh, the Port Authority operates a traditional brake bulk uh, services capability, servicing the Domtar pulp mill, uh, and those same on-water assets uh, can be used to support uh, our industry, and the Port Authority has translated that initial opportunity in, into other uh, business growth related to renewable energy. You know, you know, for example, they delivered those uh, wind turbine blades uh, earlier this year, which was a, uh, a large uh, contract for them to have. And as uh, offshore development begins in Maine, there will be organizations like the Port Authority and, and other marine contractors who, who have this uh, initial opportunity. There's, John, um... there's also the... Um, uh, the opportunity to bring more uh, uh, Maine-based uh, renewable energy uh, to the grid and to communities. And, and there's a lot of effort in the legislature right now to ensure that these host communities benefit from uh, from providing this uh, uh, from their areas. Okay, John, I um, don't mean to be interruptive, but I ha- we have another caller. I think a listener has a question for you, so I'd like to, like to go to that right now. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Uh, I'm Jason from uh, Little Cranberry Island. Oh, thank you, Jason. Thanks for waiting. Sure. Um, I'm a supporter of uh, wind and alternative energy, and uh, something I 
somebody mentioned earlier, I think it was Giffy, the, uh, the, the views or, and people have opposition to wind energy because of the sounds. And I always say to those people, uh, well, consider your options. You know, you could be stuck next to a nuclear power plant or a coal-fired power plant, and uh, that, that always gets them. But, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think if you have your choice of sitting next to a, a clean energy wind turbine that's making some whirring noises, I think that's better than uh, being choked by coal smoke. Um, also, uh, in this area, we have really bad um, air quality days where you, you know, elderly people can't go outside because of what I think is the uh, coal smoke coming from the western power plants. Um, and also, because of that, uh, all of that pollution, uh, we also have uh, the, um, the shell disease in the lobsters and the shellfish um, that's uh, causing the, uh, the acid levels to rise in the waters and eating up the shells. So those are all things to consider when we're thinking about alternative energy and how important it is. So thank you. Oh, thank you, thank Jason. You. Bye. So, John, um, oh, that was Jason. John, um, you still there, John? Nope. I think he. I think we've lost John. But uh, that was a interesting subject. I'm sure we're going to be going back to time and time again. Is uh, tidal power? I think it's an excellent program, and I think it's going to prove to be very interesting in the future. I'd like to see him get going a little faster with it. I have been up, up close to a wind turbine, and uh, they're actually kind of scary when you're up close because those, those big blades do go by at a very fast clip when you're standing right below one and looking up at them. They're, I think that they must have a little negative effect, at least on birds that have to be flying in the wrong yeah, place at the right time. So. I don't know. There's a lot of talk about it, but I really don't know. All right. Well... We're going to go to another subject entirely right here now. Um, that is um, ocean gyres. Um, you know what those are, Giffy? Those, uh, they're um, the way the currents flow around in, the, in large ocean areas, like the Gulf Stream going up is a fine example. Offshore from the Gulf Stream, it sort of makes a, uh, a large circular motion in, in, the, in the ocean. So all the way to, back to, to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Be, there is a. It's called the Sargasso Sea over here in in the Atlantic Ocean, where that where that circular motion goes, and the Sargasso Sea um, is a place where, over time, has collected a lot of floating seaweed and has become a sort of a uh, uh, a raising ground nursery for uh, sea turtles, especially that would go out and swim out to the uh, and live underneath the floating seaweed and collect. Uh, little larvae or whatever happens to be growing in the seaweed and that becomes a nursery for them. But now that same motion is also picking up plastic. When people throw plastic overboard or it washes down from storm drains, and a lot of it actually tends to end up in these big circular gyres. And there's one very huge one out in the Pacific called the uh, Pacific Garbage Patch now, which is mild. I guess they say it's twice the size of Texas of just floating plastic circling around over there. Well, so people can do something about that. And I, I've been doing it for years. I never go ashore. It's a general practice on any island or beach or places that I've walked. I take one of these plastic shopping bags with me, 
and I just pick up that junk. I right. pick it up out of the water any time I see it. If I go by and I see uh, a, a big trash bag floating in the water, I pick it up with a boat hook and yep. take it ashore. I'm just really hung up on that because well, I've had a big shopping bag getting a propeller, and when you hit one, you think you think you hit a rock. That's what it does. I mean, it, mm. boy, that'll really, <laughs> really make you take that notice. That plastic line also can cut into your cutlass bearing and make yeah, real trouble, yeah, too. Yeah. But that's a small, small problem. Yeah. We do have a, an authority on uh, on our oceans, our own WERU's own World Ocean Observatory. Peter Neal is on the phone now. Good morning, Peter. Welcome to Boat Talk. People always stop me at the, uh, when I, uh, on the street, and they say, what are you looking at? When you're, what's the World Ocean Observatory about? What's it observe? And I just tell them it's the whole world, man. It's the whole, whole it's world. The vast majority, that's the for sure. Sea connects all things. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Peter. Is this the Peter Neal that I happen to know? It is the same Peter Neal. <laughs> okay, all right. You're back forgiven. From, <laughs> back, from the, back from the trade wind survey, survey 35 years ago. Yeah. I have a picture of Tradewood on the on the website, but we'll, uh, no we'll get that later. Uh, do you have your radio on, Peter? Could I you? do, but I can turn it off. Yeah, please. There's, there's another. That's not the only Tradewind. No. There's, there's several. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not to mention the original ones. <laughs> so, Peter, why don't you uh, go ahead and explain a better job than I did about uh, the ocean gyres and how they're becoming plastic patches now well what uh you were going to have that other group on they're not they're not going Plasticky. to join. yeah um yeah uh, we're trying to call them but it's six o'clock over there uh, <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's you know it, it, it you described it perfectly what what it is is this uh, this enormous um uh uh area that is just a kind of new floating landmass. it's like it's sort of as if atlantis has come back up uh, and, and, and serviced in this enormous uh, accumulation of garbage, most of which is plastic junk, uh, that is accumulated from all around the world. And, uh, you know, that you can lie on it in certain places, and, 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 and you know, That's birds terrible. light on it and feed on it, and, mm -hmm. and uh, it, 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 it sort of defies the imagination. Uh, you can't really understand it because it's, it's, it's invisible to the rest of the world. Nobody really knows it's, it, it, it exists except in news reports and, the, and sort of pictures that don't even begin to give some sense of the scale of it. Uh, and it's a kind of enormous reality, but a tremendous uh, metaphor for, for the waste of our culture at the, at the core. I mean, it, in a disposable society, and we throw everything overboard one way or another, whether it's off the boat or uh, down the drain, um, uh, this is what happened. Uh, and and what there are two points I think that are that are really important to be made here is gift made one is that this can be stopped uh, and many people have um, have started efforts to stop it with the shopping bags themselves. San Francisco I think has an ordinance that says that you can't have any plastic shopping bags in the city of San Francisco. Uh, and I see more and more people locally going into the supermarkets with their own cloth bags. Yeah, that bags. should be that's. That's common in Europe. Yeah, uh, and you, yes, you see it in Europe everywhere. So the first thing that you can do to stop this thing is no, use those bags. Don't throw your plastic overboard. I still see it floating in the water all the time. This yeah. weekend I sell plastic everywhere. But and do I, you pick it up? 
if I can. Yeah. Uh, I underway, I, I don't. Do. But but uh, but the guy who the guy underway who threw it overboard is the one I'd like to talk to. I wish he just. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my son's a Sternman, and he says the culture is just throw it overboard. And I say, no, don't. Take it home. Yeah. The other, the other factor is that, that the birds and, and fish and, what, uh, you know, marine life die in this stuff. Absolutely. I mean, there are terrible photographs, and, and you can open up the, the, the uh, uh, you know, they do uh, uh, autopsies on these things, on, the, on animals and on the birds and, 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 and fish, etc. And you open them up and they're filled with pop-top cans and, and bits and pieces of, of plastic debris that they've swallowed. Many times they've been strangled by it. Many times they've been inhibited so they can't swim, so they drown and die. Uh, it goes on and on and on. I think the other point to be made, and I, you sort of mentioned it earlier, Alan, when you talked about um, the sea turtles in the Sargasso Sea, the currents that, that, that essentially circulate worldwide are the cause of this guy. It, it may take a year for some bit of plastic to find its way to the Pacific and, and, and join this, this, this accumulation there. But those currents are constantly um, uh, circulating, and they are circulating in, into various areas, concentrations of food. So, for example... The Sargasso Sea is one, the, the, the Galapagos Islands would be another. What's going on, however, is those same currents are the things that are circulating the persistent organic pollutions, pollutants, the toxic waste that we throw uh, either into our drains or through the sewage systems or over the fields from agricultural and nitrogen runoff or into the air with CO2 and other changing uh, situations. All that stuff falls back down into the sea, kinds its way into the water column, it begins to circulate, it never dies, it's just like plastic. And it circulates through those same systems and concentrates to the point now where the Galapagos, if you do uh, look at the, the concentrations of these pollutants in the flesh of fish or animals in the Galapagos, they are critical. So this thing that we treasure as the metaphor for, for the diversity and fecundity of, 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 of natural life is actually being poisoned as we speak dramatically, critically, by virtue of this same phenomenon. Yeah. And this is what people don't understand. Well, there's another thing that's overlooked, too. It's a minor item to most people, but I have seen a lot of uh, just ordinary balloons in the water. And I remember one time down in, in uh, Central America going ashore on an island and there was balloons hanging off the trees where the birds nest. Just ordinary balloons that ch children play with, or they sell at parades and let them go in the air. Well, I, I, it's, 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 it, to me, it's, it's, it's all part of, of if, if you can understand these things, and that guy or that plastic guy is tangible enough for people maybe to understand what's going on, if they can put their, wrap their minds around that as something that's real and, 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 and enormous and, and, and clearly negative, then they'll say, well, gee, if, if I understand how that system works, then I'll, I know, and I know that it affects other things in my behavior, I'll change my behavior. And I'll also support the things that will alleviate those, those problems. I mean, Mercury, for example, mercury goes off into the water column and it finds its way into the swordfish and we eat it with impunity. 
Uh, and now there's warnings for, for the, con- the, the consumption of mercury by pregnant women, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't have to be. And Where do you think most of the mercury comes from? Well, it comes from the, a lot of it comes from the emissions in plants, and a lot, I mean, of, of, of uh, uh, fuel uh, you know, generator plants, and a lot of it comes from uh, industrial runoff. And uh, we've, for, for decades, we've poured that stuff into, the, into our rivers, uh, that's another problem. People ask me, well, you say the ocean, where does it start? You know, down at the seaside? I said, no, the ocean begins at the mountaintop and it ends in the abyssal plain. The, the ocean begins at Everest and it ends in the Marianas Trench. And people need to understand that every bit of water that goes down the stream by the road outside their home eventually finds its way into the ocean. And everything that we put into it upstream uh, is... Is um, is going to find its way uh, some way uh, downstream, and um, uh, you know uh, it's it's it, 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 it's just a fact, <laughs> and um, uh, uh, and we can do something about that. Each and every uh, each and every one of us can do it. No question about it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I know it's would be a tough one to prove, but I, I would be willing to bet that the vast majority of the plastic that's out there in those gyres now actually did come from terrestrial sources rather than people throwing it overboard. And as you say, it's something that we all can, can, can fix. It gets thrown away one way or another. That's, that, that's the, there's an article in the, in, the, in the New York Times this morning, for example, which talks about how, you know, we hold uh, the emissions of fossil fuel plants by scrubbing them with water. Now all that water, which has accumulated all the, the, the toxicity that we've taken out of the air, is just thrown into the, into the waterways. Hmm. And, of course, that just goes downstream and it continues to pollute. So all we've done is redirected the pollution. We haven't dealt with the real problem. Well, I'll give you a little, another little example of being re- re-educated. Is, uh, I was in part of Brazil last winter and went up the Amazon River. I didn't have an understanding of the place. There were 10,000, that's a lot, 10,000 rivers, small rivers that feed the Amazon. 10,000, I mean, you just, and you say, well, that can't be possible. Well, look at a, go look at a map, a detailed map. And, and uh, the Amazon is 2,200 miles long goes right to the Andes, and I mean, all these rivers are flowing into it. So if we want to sort of start at the beginning and, and to solve where, 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 what the subject is about here, stop using plastic bags uh, for anything. Uh, stop uh, throwing uh, plastic milk containers uh, and things like that, throwing them overboard or throwing them away. I mean, uh, stop using them if you can altogether. Right. I, I believe it's a main law that any... any um retailer has to offer paper or plastic when you're asking for a bag. That's true. And ask but, for but paper. But the idea is to start by, by literally boycotting. I mean, we know how to do that. We did it with the tuna industry. We did it with other things. You can simply say, look, the market says we don't want that to happen. And if that means trouble for the, for the plastic bag company, well, maybe they'll make paper bags. Or maybe, they'll make, they'll, maybe they'll make string bags. Right. Yeah. You can make bags that you can reuse, take home, and use over and over. Exactly. Right. 
Yeah, no question about it. Well, it's a Peter, very good way to go. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, um, thank you, Peter. We uh, we do have a, a a link to your website on the boattalk.org website for anybody who would like to get more information on the World Ocean Observatory. And I'm we'll uh, be talking later, but we'll be hearing from you in the future too. Everybody, listen to World Ocean Radio on WERU six thirty right. Monday mornings. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank bye bye. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Giffy, I went down to uh, Rockport Marine um, probably two weeks ago now to take a look at the boats that are there. Uh, you told me to take a, check out that place because most of the boatyards I've been to lately, uh, it's pretty easy to find a parking space. Yeah. <laughs> lots, of, lots of vacant room, but Rockport Marine Well, they're Marine doing a significant rebuild job on two yachts, and just in my early days... Um, I was familiar with both of these boats, and I have later on, years later, I surveyed both of them. One is Bolero, uh, about a 70-foot yawl that was built at Nevins just after World War II. I think she was built around 47 or 8. Okay. We, ha we have a phone call. Can we go to yeah, that? And yeah, absolutely. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, good morning, Cam Lewis, Lincoln Domain. I just uh, quick pose a question. Uh, I think sailed a few miles, uh, many seas, and came off Brimstone Island uh, after a picnic on the main beach this past summer with four huge canvas bags full of garbage. And most of that looked like it came off commercial fishing vessels. So, just pose a question as uh, has been discussed already in the show today: is uh, you know, what what can we do to get the fishermen? to uh, not continue in the uh, practice of just throwing their stuff overboard. And also ask anybody how many people have ever seen a commercial fishing vessel return to the dock and take garbage ashore. Right, yes. I've, yes, I've seen a lot of it go overboard from fishing boats, and I've actually yelled at a few of them, but that doesn't seem to be very productive. Yeah, that's, that's true, Waltro, yeah. So, uh, yes, thank you for that, that comment. All right. We, need, we do need a, a, a Everybody's a got thought a change. Back. Yes, everybody. everybody. Yeah. We do have one more call. Let's go to that one quickly before the end of the show. Good morning and welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, this is Gray from Hancock. Hi, Gray. Um, just got a comment about the, the nature of trash. Um, I regularly walk on a beach at the mouth of uh, Skellings River here in Frenchman Bay, and um, it's, there's sort of a little eddy on the beach, so it, it picks up a, a lot of the trash that goes in and out. And uh, now this may not be true for the open ocean, but at least in, in Frenchman Bay, most of the trash is not plastic bags. If it were plastic bags, I, I would actually be kind of glad because then I wouldn't have to use a new plastic bag to carry all the other stuff. Uh, during the summer, most of the stuff is like people's water bottles and, and soda pop bottles and Styrofoam candy wrappers cups. and, you know, all the fun stuff that we use. But I have to say that pretty constantly year-round, there's a lot of plastic fishing gear, you know, chunks of lobster trap, lobster buoys, and the plastic handles for them. And there's, there's like, things that look like little wrist bracelets that have something to do with lobster and that you, you uh, see, and, and bait pockets and, and all that stuff. You know, it's really, it's really not specifically bags that are the problem i mean that's going to help if we if we don't use them but i think it's probably going to help more with terrestrial pollution than ocean pollution what well, we've really got a lot of styrofoam and all kinds of stuff that's used 
on the coast and in the fit, in the boating industry that really is is a problem and i don't i'm not sure how we're going to going to deal with that but it's not really shopping bags that are the problem as far as you know like plastic bottles soda bottles yeah but not the bags you know, also a lot of broken styrofoam from uh uh, flotation for floats. Right, right, for floats and, and for buoys because they get run over and they get a chunk taken out by a propeller and the buoy's still there, but uh, there's a chunk float to shore somewhere. Yeah, you're right, Gray. It's, uh, well, it's all bad, isn't it? But No, no, it's not all bad because, uh, you know, there's people making a great living because of plastic. It's just we got to figure out some way some way to deal with it that that doesn't destroy our nest, you know? It's uh, it's it's really making a mess the way we're using it. It's not the plastic itself. And that's 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 really the issue. As somebody said earlier, the problem is is people. It's it's what you know, it's what we do with stuff. It's not necessarily the stuff. Part of common sense education. Yeah, and and taking responsibility, you know? Um uh, you I'm sure Giffy, you were brought up when uh, all all soda bottles were uh, deposits and returnable. People didn't throw them overboard. They didn't no, knock a hole in the bottom to get rid of them. They took them back and got a nickel. Right. But they're all glass. Yeah, and they were decent, substantial glass, you know, that wouldn't break at a drop of a hat and be a hazard. At any rate, thanks for the show. Um, and we got, you know, pollution of the oceans is, is a serious issue that should be discussed more. Anyway, thanks a lot. You know, thank you, Greg. Thank, you. thank we, you. We will be discussing it more in the future. Um, one quick thing, though, is uh, my pet peeve also is the shaft cutters are going very common nowadays, and they are cutting buoys loose and also leaving traps on the bottom that will eventually break down, and parts, plastic parts of that will come loose from those. Well, um, I've got something on my own boat. You have a very it's fine a, solution to that yeah, problem. Yeah, well, it's helping. I don't say it's a complete solution, but I have... Uh, I don't know what to call them. I have wings or wings, guides yeah. that are ahead of my propeller by about two feet. Yeah. And any boy line or anything gets close to it gets swept away from the propeller. When your boat gets hauled out next time, I want to take a picture well, of that and put yeah, it on the website. It just got hauled out yesterday. Okay, well. You can take a picture of them any time you I want. will. It'll be <laughs> up on the website in just a couple of days, folks. But Time for us to wrap up Boat Talk. Another hour has just sailed right by. Thank you for uh, listening to Boat Talk, and uh, thank you for yeah. thinking about plastic. Yeah, and thank you all for a nice program, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Stay tuned for Jim Bahoosh coming up next on On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU FM Blue Hill. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com.